A fifth win on the spin and seven points clear again at the top of the championship table. The sun was certainly shining on Norwich City this weekend with a 2-0 win at Wickham. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm Dave Freezy. You can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM. Joined by Connor Southwell and City fan Sean Gallia-Pace to look back on that win at Adams Park uh, and a few other bits and pieces of news which we'll come on to but uh connor if i come to you first um that was a lovely weekend i wasn't expecting to be uh needing well i could have done with some suntan lotion and uh and a cap or something i i, I considered giving tim krill a shout see if he had a spare one <laughs> I, I shaved my head recently and i've almost got a little bit of a an early spring tan now <laughs> well, I, was, I was gonna say i saw your picture on twitter and there was a nice shine coming off which was yeah. um, which was which is nice it, yeah it was, it was a really lovely day wasn't it um all round in terms of weather in terms of result in terms of probably second half performance more than anything and yeah I, th- I think like you say probably a deserved win in the end despite Wickham maybe feeling a little bit aggrieved that they probably should have had a penalty when when tim Krull fouled um ibora so um all in all a, a good day probably one you'd file as a professional performance not necessarily norwich at their slick free-flowing best but still created a number of quality opportunities i think obviously beyond the goals i think about that chance that emmy buendia had in the second half on el hernandez had a couple as well so i think you may be reflecting on it saying it probably could have been more convincing but I think 2-0 was probably a fair reflection overall of of the game and how it transpired but ultimately as I'm sure we'll get into the most important thing is is the win and, and the context that that gave to the league table which certainly looks healthier for Norwich City now than perhaps it did at the start of the weekend. Particularly with the big game we've got coming up on Wednesday night, which we'll soon come on to. Uh, Sean, we'll, we, we will come into the game in a bit more depth um, shortly. But how, how are you finding life, this frustrating life of, of following Norwich City from, from afar? Have you found sort of any uh, little tips or, 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 or ways of enjoying it a little bit more from a distance? It's difficult. Um, you know, you obviously can't have the pre-match routine, which for me is a, a hot dog at the, uh, the stand outside Morrison's. Uh, <laughs> The sausage roll, the big jumbo sausage roll from Morrison's as well. So you know, I have a particular routine that I have that involves a lot of food. I uh, I just have to have to have it homemade and do a, um, a a frozen pizza instead. But no, it's 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 difficult. It's uh it's hard because you you're just shouting at the TV, sort of saying it's all the things that you wish you could shout at the players. Um, and clearly they can't hear you. So it's 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 been challenging. Obviously, with you know the results how they've been, it's it's been quite an easy ride you can just sit back and have a couple of beers and not have to worry too much um but it's it's been it's been a challenge to sort of watch it and I didn't go to any of the pilot events either that we had obviously at the very start of the season so you know it's it's been frustrating not to be able to watch players like Ollie Skip you know I've not, I've not seen him in the flesh play mm. um and probably won't get the chance to do all season so I think it's been a bit of a challenge it's been nice in in another aspect that you you're able to view things a second time or a third time because of the replays by not going to the matches but we've been quite lucky i guess with the coverage that we've been able to watch the matches as they as they unfold on on tv you know we're, we're not in um sort of league one and league two where oh, okay you've got i follow but you know they're on sky now aren't they so you know we, we've been quite fortunate that those matches have been on um but you know it's obviously not the same as, as being there in the flesh absolutely actually that's that's an interesting point that we well i've certainly noticed that on social media but for for example at wickham yesterday me and paddy are there and they have a very low press box and so in in the sort of far right corner 
we're blocked by the dugouts. We can't even see what's going on in one corner of the pitch and we're actually at the stadium. And then you've got all the Norwich fans at home who have probably got better views than us and have got <laughs> access to instant replays. We didn't even have TVs to see any replays. So <laughs> it's it's weird. We're, we're obviously very fortunate to be there. But in a lot of ways, you, when, when a big incident happens, fans who are following it from a distance end up getting a sort of better look at it than we do so well that's, uh, it. that's with the tim Craw, um tim crow incident um yes i didn't see it happen yeah. in real time um and it wasn't until i saw the replays i was like actually oh, that that is a penalty you know it, <laughs> it, with, with var that obviously that would have been given um which is quite nice that we've uh sort of found ourselves without that this season yeah. um but you know i didn't see it in, in real time and then we, it's only when you look at it back and it's like oh yeah we got away with one there yeah. Well, besides the fact that yesterday we actually had to, you know, shield our eyes from the sun the whole game. Yeah. I mean, Connor, you'll remember the Bournemouth game, I think, in October. Mm. We had exactly the same. They, they Usually they put press boxes on the side of the stadium that, that doesn't have the sun shining on them. But, um, yeah, that was that was far from ideal. Anyway, before we press on, we've got um, a couple of bits of news that we should get through and some sad news. Glenn Roder, former Norwich City boss, of course, between October 2007 and January 2009, uh, passed away Sunday. That news broke after the... Uh, Wickham game lots of warm tributes throughout the game for him because he although things didn't go well for him at Norwich he you know had a big impact at other clubs Newcastle West Ham uh, Watford and QPR as a player as well and uh, was an England coach under Glenn Hoddle so um, a very well-renowned person in football we probably don't need to get into you know all of his Norwich reign we all know that it ended on a pretty sour note and there were there were bad moments along the way but as so many people have, have kindly pointed out really because I haven't seen anybody make any snarky horrible comments thankfully and um, it's all been very respectful of um, a man who has sadly passed away at the age of 65 he had his battles against a brain tumour while he was West Ham manager of course and and that is what um, has finally been the issue for him unfortunately um, so thankfully everybody's kept it nice and respectful and and the nice point that everyone's focused on is that he is the man that brought Wes Houlihan to the club. So um, just a, a few uh, comments from former City players that I wanted to read out, actually, uh, which I thought would just sort of round, round it off nicely. A, a, a more in-depth discussion about Glenn's time at the club is probably for another day. But Dion Dublin, he he won the Player of the Season award in uh, at the end of Rhoda's first season, 2007-2008, when they went on a 13-game unbeaten run to to survive because they were bottom and four points adrift when he when he came in. It was Peter Grant's successor. Uh, Dion said on Instagram, rest in, please, rest in peace, Glenn. Thank you very much for everything you did for me. Uh, Brian Gunn uh, on Twitter, who was made goalkeeper coach by Rhoda and then uh, became head of recruitment in the, uh, in the summer. So very sad news about Glenn. Thoughts and prayers are with his wife, Faith, and Holly, Will, and Joe. Rest in peace, Glenn. Tim Krull, of course, Norwich number one. He uh, played for Rhoda at Newcastle. So he tweeted, so sad to hear the news that Glenn Rhoda passed away. The man who believed in me and who gave me my Newcastle debut. Rest in peace. And finally, for now, uh, Ewan Roberts, who played uh, under Glenn at Watford, I believe it was. Such sad news that Glenn Rhoda sadly passed away, played with Glenn at Watford when he was coming towards the end of his career. He was great with us young lads just starting off on our journey. Hi all, it's Dave here. I just felt after we'd finished recording the pod that I did want to reflect a little bit more on Glenn Rhoda's time with the club. So I've had a catch up with our head of sport, Chris Lakey, who was covering Norwich during Glenn's time at the club. Uh, you can hear that at the end of this week's pod uh, if you just want to reflect a bit more 
on Glenn's time, which was between 2007 and 2009, following that sad news on Sunday. But for now, it's on with the show. Right, to news which I suppose has been welcomed in in some ways by Norwich fans, but Paul Lambert is gone. It's finally over, isn't it, Connor? Although perhaps you could look at it in the other way and that Agent Lambert is no more. No, he's he's been intercepted, hasn't he? That's that's the uh, that's that's the negative point. I, I saw a um a, a video from our colleagues who who work on the East Anglian Daily Times and it was it was a clip of um the the warm up on Saturday when they beat Doncaster in 2-1 and the players are kind of warming up in different sections of the pitch at Portman Road and he is stood essentially in in the D um with I think it's uh, another member of staff literally just playing the crossbar challenge in the warm up and that's 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 a little bit strange if if you think about it but given the context that we learned last night in terms of his payoff being agreed before that game and perhaps he he knew that that was going to be his last game i think maybe you kind of understand it a little bit more but it's it's really difficult to see where he goes from here in 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 all seriousness because what little well, it was, it was about a decade ago wasn't it we were talking about his success at Norwich City and, the, and and that's the last time really that success has been associated with, with one of his sides and now he finds himself back in the football wilderness um having well underperformed at a league one club so it's very difficult to plot his next move or his next step to be completely honest and um it's it's going to be difficult but equally um it, it was a change I think if you asked Ipswich fans that probably needed to happen given everything that's gone wrong on the pitch and it looks like there's there's going to be plenty of change off it maybe in in, in the next few weeks as well so so this looks the start of it um paul cook if, if that's the man that's going to go in it looks like he probably is i think that's probably a fairly shrewd appointment to be uh, to be completely honest for where they find themselves and the level they're at um but yeah paul lambert's legacy at norwich city and how it's going to be remembered i think in 10 years five years down the line i think it's going to be very interesting to see yeah, he got Norwich promoted twice and Ipswich relegated once. So uh, he, he's very much earned his place Build in the, the statue. <laughs> very much earned his place in the Hall of Fame. But Sean, if you, if you take the uh, local rivalry out of it, the whole uh, sort of animosity around Lambert, they've just won two on spin. They're four unbeaten. Mm. They're two points outside the playoffs. If you forget Lambert and just look at it as a club's ownership, making the change to try and get a bounce to make sure they're in the promotion mix... There's still every chance that Ipswich get back into uh, it, or will have a chance of getting back into the championship this season. Well, that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's um, from the outside looking in, it's a very harsh decision based on the last two games. But I guess if you take it into context of the last two and a half years or however long he's he's been there, you know, it was it was a crazy decision in like, a year ago or whenever it was to order him um, to to give him that long uh, contract. Um, and and fans, because I've got two brothers that support Ipswich, so I'm quite connected in that in that space um, right. <laughs> they uh yeah which obviously leads to a bit of rivalry uh, from our side but um you know they, they've been saying for well, ever since he took them down the first time that this touches time for a change but you can see from the, you know the last two why not why not keep him until the end of the season if he if he fails again you know then then there's there's the time to get rid of him but it's uh it's i think it's it, obviously these things have been um, there's been rumblings for a couple of weeks about the takeover happening. Um, and you can only say that, you know, discussions, I think, are, are at an advanced stage with, with Paul Cook. And, you know, these is, is clearly something happening there. And, and regardless of what happened in the last two games, he was going to go. So 
you know, it's. I think I think from an Ipswich point of view, it seems like the, a change was needed because they again, just like last season, they started well, um, but have tailed off. And you know, I don't know the ins and outs, but it, it just seems like a clash of personalities. I think him and him and the owner clearly don't get on um, because you know better than anyone what what Lambert's like, Dave. Like he's he's a volatile character, so um, you know you can only assume that. They've not seen eye to eye, but it just I can only imagine the payoff that Ipswich would have had to pay to get to get rid of him because, you know, surely a change would have been made before now. Yeah, well, it was all worth it just for that moment during the uh, 3-0 win at Carrow Road, wasn't it, when he got sent off? The uh, <laughs> the the laughter going around Carrow Road, uh, that was, uh, given that Norwich were on their way to a promotion anyway. Um, well, he that deserved was, uh, that because I'll always remember when he came back with Aston Villa the first time. Um, yeah. And they beat us in the cup 4-1 and he was given it the big one then. Yeah. And ever since then, you know, I just thought, wow, what? He's, he, he needs to get his uh, his just desserts. And I think I, th- I think he has. I think he's, ever since then, as we know, you know, he, he's not had the success he achieved at, at Norwich. And obviously going to Whipswich, he, he went there because not only did he need the job, but also to give it to Norwich again and, and you know, try and keep them up in the championship at the time and take them back to League One. He had that, all these things in his mind and it just didn't work out for him in the end. But, you know, hope, oh, the only the only bad thing now is they'll probably get someone in and go and make the playoffs and, and win the playoffs. So that's, that's the only bad thing. It was a shame you couldn't stay to the end of the season. But, uh, yeah, oh, well, you, you live and learn. Well, let's just hope Norwich are in the Premier League anyway. But that's a good point. Yeah. That that was um, League Cup quarterfinal, wasn't it? Benteke was brilliant and they won 4-1. But, of course, the pivotal issue there is that Ian Culverhouse was still by his side at that point. Mm-hmm. And, I think most Norwich fans now, with the benefit of hindsight, will point to the fact that ever since he's been without the, the now King's Lynn boss, things haven't gone too well for him. But that is more than enough Ipswich chat because, um, of course, Norwich are flying high. And with 13 games of the season remaining, they've already hit 70 points, Connor. And five wins on the spin, it's it's a, a really impressive recovery from that little wobble, which is all it was, wasn't it? You know, two nil-nil draws and then a a defeat at Swansea. Um, but you've got to say fair play to the, to the players and to Daniel Farker for the way they've responded because this was a really tricky little spell of fixtures, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly exactly that. And and they've come through it really, really well, actually. Four, I think we, we spoke probably about a month ago about four potential banana skins and they've managed to sort of sidestep all of them and, and done it with with real confidence, actually, and real swagger. And, and that's, that's kind of the thing with this side. I don't think... Um, it's as entertaining as the side that won the league two years ago, but it's certainly more ruthless and more efficient and and deadly. And I, and I think in in a strange way, if you kind of had a game between the side that won the league two years ago with this team, I think this team would probably come out on top just because of how efficient it is and how defensively solid it is. And um, maybe in in terms of excitement now, that they, they, they might not be the best team to watch in terms of um, free flowing football, but they win football matches and, and that's what they're geared to do. And, and that bodes well. And it's another clean sheet. And it's just a, a, a lot of positivity considering some people in some quarters have handed the league title to Brentford a, a few weeks ago. This has been a remarkable response to that. And um, it goes to show, I think, the quality and, and the character and mentality as well. And Daniel Farker's got to take a lot of credit for it as well, because it would have been easy to, I, I think, feed on that panic as a squad and as a group and um, we know that he's, he's kind of fairly level-headed isn't he? he's not particularly high when Norwich are in the situation they're in right now and he wasn't particularly low when they were getting relegated last year it's kind of been pretty even for him throughout so I think that that's that's helped um, 
and and they're in a really uh, they're in a position now where it kind of feels what ten um, clear of third place. It it feels like beyond a, an almighty um, uh, sort of uh, collapse that that they're kind of destined for for return to the Premier League now. Um, and it's it's just about whether they do it as first or second. I think at this point because someone worked out on Twitter. I think the points per game that everyone would need and and and, and everyone else would probably need over two points per game to catch Norwich that's that's staggering really so they're in a really healthy position with 13 games to go and um, I think whilst they'll be taking it one game at a time I think everyone else will look at them and probably say that they're pretty much pretty much there now yeah Watford or Swansea would have to win for and Norwich would have to lose for in the last 13 so it is a remarkable position they've got themselves into Um, and and like you say I probably agree with you I think they might beat the team of 2018-19 and and tomorrow uh, sorry yesterday was a good example of that in my video verdict at the pink and youtube channel i i gave grant hanley my man of the match i, I thought kenny mclean was very good as well obviously buendia i think i think you can probably give buendia man of the match every time couldn't you if you really want to because he's probably the best player on the pitch every time but this was a game where it was like playing a league one team wasn't it they were bombing it forward i think it was 32 aerial duels won and Grant Hanley was responsible for 10 of them. So that defensive strength, Sean, just how impressed have you have you been with the way that Farker has just tweaked things ever so subtly? Obviously with Hanley, but he decided to bring Ben Gibson straight back in uh, yesterday once he was available. And, and I think all Norwich fans agreed with that, didn't they? Because that just feels like it's the, the partnership which has the, has the balance and it has looked the best. I think it does. Yeah, absolutely. I... I, I prefer it when they're them two are at the back um I, th- I think it makes such a difference having ben gibson in this side um he's a slightly different defender to to obviously uh godfrey was um but he's, he's resiliently strong um and you know b- between the two of them I, I much prefer that partnership to, to to zimmerman um i i think they're they're good from corners as well they they, they seem quite good going forward but aerial dual dual wise as you've just mentioned Nobody can beat them in the air. They're they're, they're overpowering um, and dominant in the air. So, you know, I think I think it makes such a difference when he's in the sides, and I think Crawl must feel it too because, you know, we don't look like conceding. Yeah, I mean, if Zimmerman was coming in for Hanley, I wouldn't be so worried just because. But when Hanley had to move over to the left, it you know it was fine. It wasn't exactly a disaster, was it? But it just no. doesn't flow quite quite as nicely. And um, the other man coming in, Sean, was Onel Hernandez. What did you make of, of his performance? I mean, Todd Campbell, just a minor calf injury, but uh, Daniel said less than a 50% chance of him being available for Brentford. Um, yeah, so, it was a little underwhelming, yeah. wasn't it? Um, you know, O'Neill, a couple of years ago, even last year, he looked he looked good running at defences. He looked up one of our uh, biggest threats, um, but it's not the same O'Neill Hernandez. And I wonder if if there's there's something going on there with, with, with him, because he just... He doesn't look quite at it. I mean, he he huffed and he puffed and he tried, but it's it's just not uh, the O'Neill end end product um, that we've seen. Um, I think obviously he needs a, a few more goals in his game. Um, just kind of run at defenders and and have have a go at that. Uh, you know, at the, at the keeper, but it's not it's not looked like the O'Neill that we that we saw two years ago and, and even last season. Yeah, I mean, we talked since we recorded the last pod. Of course, there was the midweek game as well, the three-one win at Birmingham, and and Connor Hernandez made a decent impact off the bench in that one, didn't he? So I think he had he'd earned his place. I, I did him as our player watch. You can read that at Pinkham.com, which is a bit more in depth on his performance. But I feel like he's had enough 
game time now to not really be able to keep pointing to the injury and stuff. I know it takes a while, but I feel like he probably should be in a bit of a better rhythm than he is at the moment. I did feel sorry for him that Buendia skied that chance because he'd done well to set that up, and that would have been his first assist of the season. But equally, that header from the Max Aaron's cross, <laughs> I mean, I know, I know O'Neill's not a man that you're pinning your hopes on in the air, but <laughs> that it almost looked like a sort of eight-year-old closing his eyes, scared of the ball, <laughs> didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it looked like me going for a header, to be completely honest, um, which, which everyone used to think I was good at because I'm tall and it was just like, it's not the case. Um, but but yeah, I, I think I think absolutely spot on in terms of uh, Hernandez. And, and the thing is, whenever he gets the ball in certain situations, he looks dangerous. He looks like he, he's threatening to do something. It's just that final product, that final decision, that final bit of quality that he needs to add to his game that maybe has been a, a criticism that you could level at him, I think, throughout his, his Norwich career. And, and, and that was lacking. There was a, a one-on-one situation as well, wasn't there, that, where he looked to sort of chip the keeper and, and got that wrong. And he just asked for a bit more ruthlessness, a bit more quality. But... Um, he certainly offers Norwich a different dynamic. And like you say, against Birmingham, we saw that he injected a bit of um, a bit of energy, a bit of forward thrust, a bit of uh, well, direct running, I, I guess, to the side that, that helped unlock Birmingham for the, for the second goal at a time where Norwich were um, kind of drifting in and out of the game. So he, he clearly can have an impact at this level. You, you, you just want to see more from him and a bit more consistency and a bit more um, quality in terms of his final action. And then, if you can extract that out of him, which to be fair, there were there were some cases towards the back end of the championship season last time, and injuries sort of stifled him in the Premier League. But even even again to to a similar extent, where we were beginning to see a bit more in terms of that, and now again this injury's kind of thrown it away, and he's starting from from the foundation again. So, yeah, I, I, it feels harsh, like you say, to criticise him too much because of the time he's had out, but. I think I think you're right, Dave. In terms of now, he's he's had a sizable amount of game time where you can probably judge him pretty fairly and pretty in the round. So I, I think he will want a step up in terms of his his productivity because um, I, I think I think you're right. If, if it's if it's Campwell, for example, that took up some of the positions he took up yesterday, I think the scoreline is probably a lot more convincing than it was. Yeah, and, and Campwell has obviously been playing very well. Let me put you both on the spot and briefly turn our attention to to Brentford just on this issue. Um would you stick? I think Daniel will probably stick with Hernandez because he'll feel that he wasn't that far off hitting his rhythm and that another start would will do him good. Or if Campwell is unavailable, would you be looking to bring in Kieran Dowell or Poeheta on that left side? Sean, what, what, what would you prefer to be if, if Todd's I'd, not involved? I'd give O'Neill another chance. Um, you know, I think, I think as you said before, um, you know, he has a run of games, but with Campbell not quite fully fit yet, give O'Neill another chance. You know, we're on a winning run. Um, you know, it's, if we can keep an unchanged team, um, I think that would that would suit for the rhythm. Um, and, you know, I think O'Neill is one of those players, he's frustrating to watch, um, but you just know that there could be a bit of magic with him. You, he's unpredictable. Yeah. He, he could have the game of his life and score two goals and, you know, it, it's it's everyone's all smiles, but then it could also be another game where you think, oh, what, what's what's he doing that for? He's 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 very frustrating, um, and maybe he's one of those players that that needs a bit of uh, sort of backing from the fans, you know. And if if he had fans on his back, would that encourage him to play better? I, I, I don't know. So, you know, give him another chance, and uh, and fingers crossed, we'll uh, he'll he'll put in a good performance. And Connor, yeah, I I think I'd agree. Just just based on. The way I see the game going, I think I think 
Brentford are going to look to attack Norwich. I think there will be space to to gallop into him behind, and I think he's he's going to be a pretty useful asset to have in that game. So I I would stick with Nandez from the off, and and then I, I guess if you need to look at maybe uh, maybe Shemi Placetta or, or Kieran Dowell as a as a substitute after sixty five minutes if things haven't quite transpired in the way that you'd hope. But we know Daniel Farker likes momentum and consistency, and if if Todd's not available, I, I think it will be um, I, I think it will be an unchanged team if I'm completely honest. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if Dowell could take on the sort of Countwell role in terms of him and Wendy are almost being, you know, number 10s in inverted commas, but playing out wide. And and then the the actual central player, which is Vrancic at the moment and has often been Steepman, ends up being the person that sort of knits it all together and isn't necessarily the, the playmaker all of the time. So that's going to be an interesting uh, issue. But I think the, the one big thing, as with a lot of the players in the squad who are from the previous title-winning squad, fans want O'Neill to find it, don't they? They'd, they'd love to see him spank one in in the next couple of weeks or, or you know, play a big mm. part because, you know, eight goals and nine assists in 2018-19, he, he was a big part of all that. Um, from the left to the right, and Emmy Buendia, we just can't stop talking about him at the moment, really, can you? Tenth assist of the season to go with nine goals. He's going to end up in double figures uh, for both, isn't he? I'm sure he'll get another goal between now and then. So already we can say he's had an exceptional individual season with 13 games to go. So who knows what he can achieve? But I know there's there's a lot of uh, debate around, you know, is he Norwich's best ever player? Mm. Where do you stand on that, Sean? Because I think it's two sort of slightly different things. I think technically, just in terms of pure ability, he is probably up there as one of those. But for me, I don't see it as being a, a debate. And because... When you talk about Ian Crook and Mark Bowen and Rolf Fox, Chris Sutton, and all those guys, late 80s, early 90s, who actually performed at the top of the English game, Buendia hasn't done that. So until he's done that with Norwich City, I don't see that that's a conversation. But he is a brilliant player, isn't he? He is a brilliant player. And you know, you're probably right. Technically, there's there's few better than him. Um, unfortunately, I never was around for, for people like Crook and, and Bowen. Um, but I was Huckabee and Holt, like you, Connor. Um, you know, they were they were our icons, they were our heroes. So, you know, I think uh, technically Buendia is probably the best. Um, but for me, it, I, I would still put people like Huckabee and Holt ahead of Buendia, just as Norwich's greatest ever player. Um, and I don't know if that's me being biased because I guess I got to see them more. Um, but I think if you were to say on quality alone, individual quality, Wendier is still there. And I think if James Madison stayed a couple more seasons for Norwich, mm. perhaps he could have been in that conversation as well. Um, yeah. Obviously, you look at Houlihan as well. As uh, I love Houlihan, but for me, I, I can't see him beating Huckabee and Holt in my sort of rank. If I, if I said a top um, sort of three, I think Houlihan would probably be third. Um, but for me, Huckabee and Holt stands above them too. And then between um, Bundia and, and Houlihan for third place because um, the bet it's so it's so it's, it depends on who you ask, isn't it? it you know it, they're all great players and I I, I can't put Bundia ahead of Huckabee and Holt. They they are they were talisman, weren't they? Holt particularly Holt in the way he drove Norwich up through the divisions. But Hucks was so good consistently for Norwich. He was yeah. you know the best player for a long time, wasn't he? But this is a debate that will rumble on. There will be soon be another person who enters the debate in the next few years. I'm sure. Uh, who knows? Maybe he's already in the squad somewhere. But um, it's a big enough squad. Um, but just in terms of Buendia at the moment, Connor, you know he's in the Championship Team of the Week for what the 
fourth out of the last five game weeks. So he's in a tremendous run of form. But again, uh, to, to almost give credit to Wickham, they, they worked so hard, didn't they, that they made Norwich work really hard for these three points. And it wasn't until the 87th minute when Eder actually scored the second goal that it was safe. Yeah, and, and I watched the first half and... I, th- I think if you were sat, it wasn't a game for the, for the neutral anyway, I don't think. But if, if you were sat watching that, maybe not supporting both sides, you you would probably think exactly what I said there, that it, w- it was quite dull. It was quite passive for, for the most part. But you have to give credit to Wickham because they made it that way. They scrapped and they they, they kind of made it tough and difficult. And um, I think they're at the, it's kind of emerging that there's two ways to play against Norwich. You either press them really high in the way that Barnsley have um, in particular, with the risk then of leaving space in behind for someone like Timu Puki to to exploit and to run onto, or you do the reverse of that and you do what Wickham do, which is try and and, and go man for man, um, don't concede any space and make them and make you yourself really difficult to play through. And for forty five minutes, they did that exceptionally well. And I think it's it's a testament to the character and, and and the type of squad that Gareth Ainsworth has built there because it's crystal clear to see that um that they really love playing for him and and, and you know a, a miracle and Wickham Wanderers are, are kind of have been aligned in uh, I think seven years ago they're pretty close to going out of league two and now they're in the championship so there is that narrative around it as well and, and that can extract an extra few percent but in, in games like that and, and we saw it I felt on Tuesday um against Birmingham it's as the game goes on, quality begins to tell. And it's always more difficult as a side without the ball when you're chasing and you're being asked to to sort of retain a defensive shape because you get more fatigued if you don't have the ball and if you do. So then gaps start to appear and that's when Norwich really picked teams off. And that, again, that's kind of what we saw yesterday after the first goal. You think about the chances Norwich had and Andes had, well, those two chances really that, that we've spoken about. Emi Buendia blazed over the bar. Um, so... I, I think it it did show in the end the quality that Norwich have and it was all about not becoming frustrated and they made sure I felt they did that very well. But Wickham made a, a real game of it for the last 20 minutes or so um, before, I mean, we've spoken about the penalty, um, which perhaps they should have had, but there was a lot of territory they had as well and a lot of pressure they put on. Obviously, they made that five-man substitution, which was ridiculous, um, and, and that, that did sort of go in their favour. So um, I, I, I think Gareth Ainsworth quietly if you caught him in a quiet moment um yesterday evening would have felt immensely proud at his side's performance and that's not to do a disservice but it's just to the way how far they've come and given the respective sides in in the division because he's right this this game was probably a lot closer than maybe people will look at the scoreline and think yeah a quintuple substitution i think that's the first time i've seen it in a competitive game uh, for a reporter, it uh, can be a bit of a nightmare, but they roll through them quite slowly, unlike some games in pre-season that I've covered when they'll chuck 10 on and you, you, they won't even read them all out. And <laughs> you're just I like, always think about, can you remember that um, friendly when Norwich played? I think it was Panathinaikos at Cow Road and uh, I, f- I felt for the PA announcer because every time he had to announce a substitution, <laughs> it was the longest Greek name in the world and really <laughs> yeah. struggled. Uh, well, there was one at King's Inn, a friendly. I think it might have been... Pookie's first game it might have been that one and, and Farker handed over for the last half an hour to Matt Gill and the under 23s and they actually won the game they, I think Norwich were losing with the first team players at that point because it was very early in pre-season but at that point they put on a whole new team 
and the, the PA announcer at the walks just had no idea what was going on. So we, we're in the stands, like on the live blog and stuff, trying to make sense of who's come on. And there's, you know, under 18s players that we've never seen play and stuff. So, so that was good fun. Um, you mentioned neutral uh, viewers there, Connor, but we, of course, know that there's a very high profile neutral view of Norwich games now in a certain Mr. Guardiola. Uh, a heck of a bromance blossoming here, Sean. Um, I mean, Farker's got quite a lot of them. We hear it after every game, don't we, that all the managers love him. I know, I know. It's a, a cool German, isn't he? I, I, I don't. I, I was, I was very shocked to read that the other day. I, I couldn't quite believe it, but I think there's probably a lot of mutual respect developed there after um, we beat Man City, obviously last season. I think I, I can imagine that they um, had a had a glass of wine or a slice of cake, as Daniel likes to say, um, after the game. So, you know, it's it's great to see that we've got um, an ally in uh, Guardiola and. Um, Hopefully that might mean if we go up that we can pinch one or two of the younger players on loan or something. But um, you know, it's 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 a great story, and 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 hopefully the you know we can we can benefit from that um, sort of relationship. And it's just nice to see that our manager sort of gets on with these big names. And uh, I think hopefully it'll it'll help help us in the long run. Yeah, he's he's liked and respected, and as everyone yeah. associated with Norwich knows, he's just a nice guy, isn't he? He's a good he chap. Is, yeah. I suppose it's almost killing them with kindness a little bit in footballing terms, isn't it? Rather than being the sort of old school, aggressive, gruff sort of manager, he just, you know, kills them with that uh, with that smile, really. But, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of Manchester City, obviously Angus Gunn was on loan uh, that while Guardiola's been in charge and Patrick Roberts didn't work out. But, you know, if Farker has befriended Guardiola and, of course, he knows Thomas Tuchel very well, then there's a decent chance and he, he's... There is a bit of a bromance with Mourinho as well, isn't there? In terms of that's it, and Klopp as well because of the German connection, Dortmund connection. So you know he's he's doing all right actually. He's doing the round, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> he is. Well, if that pays off for Norwich, then we'll have to see. That would be um that would be really interesting. But um yes, so the man that we haven't really spoken about yet, but of course is is the reason for this hot streak really. Uh, seven goals in five games for Timu Puki, up to joint 15th in the club's all-time top scorers now. And he only needs, so he's on 18 for the season. Uh, if he gets another, how many does he need? Seven goals, he would move up to level 10th in the all-time ranking. So that would take him to 25 for the season, which with the way he's playing at the moment, Connor, seems... Okay, a deflected goal, but it, you know it's, the, it's about the movement, isn't it? <laughs> but another seven goals for Pookie the way he's playing at the moment seems very possible, doesn't it? Yeah, in what thirteen games, so it's not beyond it's not beyond the realms at all, really, of, of possibility. And he's um, he's exceptionally good. It's it's not just his finishing; it's it's the movement and what he does really well is he he, he plays on the edge of a game, and and you you can kind of in in your mind think. Well, they haven't really got Pookie involved yet, and then bam, there's the movement, there's the pass, and he's in. And it's it's those movements over five, ten yards that make him so difficult to defend against. Because, as I said, if you offer him the space, as a, as a defensive side, he can really hurt you in behind. But equally, if you do play as as Wickham did yesterday, a fairly low block and look to frustrate you, then it's those clever little movements like he created for the goal, where he just peels off um, a, a defender and then makes the cutback fairly simple for Emi Buendia. And it's it's those kind of movements that are so difficult to, to defend against as well. So I think for opposition defences at the moment, it's not what does Timo Puki do? It's 
we know what Timmy Fuki does. It's how do we stop him? And, and that's that's what makes him so good at this level. And that's why Daniel Farker is um, uh, praises him the way he does. And yeah, in terms of in terms of his finishing, it's 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 always been top level. And yeah, it was a deflected goal yesterday, but that that's kind of epitomises where he is in terms of confidence, doesn't it? Because when you're a striker and and you're in the run of form that he's in, suddenly everything you hit ends up in the back of the net, regardless of how cleanly or how well you strike it. And then you know you go back to a month ago where he couldn't he couldn't score for for love nor money, and everything he was hitting wasn't hitting the target. So it's it's kind of the cycle of a striker, isn't it? But um, there's, there's a saying, isn't there, that, that what um, form is temporary and class is permanent, and, and that kind of feels like that that's the case with him. And because there was obviously a nice chat he did, I think it was with you, Dave, wasn't it? After a game where he said he'd been doing, oh, Daniel Farker said he'd been doing training practice and and working on his finishing, and, and maybe that little bit of self doubt had begun to to creep into his game. But yeah, I mean, he said before the game to um, to Sky Sports that he, he felt like he was he was back on back in top gear I think he said and I think we're certainly seeing that now because when he does and when he's flying like this he's um he's an exceptional player to watch and and what makes the statistics about him entering the top 15 so special it's not necessarily the goals that he's done it's the amount of games that he's done it in and it's his goals per game as well which I think um someone tweeted yesterday would put him in the top five I think it was our colleague Pete Raven said he would put yeah. him in the top five in terms of goals per game which is absolutely insane really so um, yeah, there's there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that we're watching uh, a, a player become a Norwich City legend, um, and he's up there with some real greats now, and, and that's a testament to his first what two two and a bit years as a as a Norwich City player. It's not bad going at all. It's not, and Sean that, that he's recovered from that bit in the middle of the season where he, like it was at Blackburn, wasn't it? He scored his fiftieth goal on the day that he got his hundredth appearance. And then he went for, I think, eight games without a goal in open play. He'd had a little bit of an injury in the mix in December as well, hadn't he? That he bounced back from that it is impressive, given that he had a tough season last year as well at points. But I guess what he's also got to play for is, is Finland at the Euros this summer. He wants to be firing for that, doesn't he? Well, that's, that's exactly it, isn't it? Um, I can only echo what Connor just said. Uh, you know, he, he epitomises everything Norwich City at the moment and he can be having a bad game. And I don't think he was even at his best yesterday, um, but he, he still he still scored. And when you're a striker and, and you're and you're scoring goals, that's that's the best feeling in the world. And 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 that's what and that's what he keeps doing. He, I think they did. Wickham did a very good job at um, sort of playing a way that we couldn't put balls through to him. Um, and it was a deflected goal, but you know he won't mind that at all. Um, and it's a lot. The only the only concern, as as you say, Dave, is is that there is obviously Finland in the summer. He's not going to get a long break. And you know, if we do go up again, um, you know, he needs a rest. He needs he needs a break. He needs um, to be fit and firing because you know, as we saw last season, he started well and 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 it just tailed off because I think Norwich didn't have another option and um, we just expected too much of him. We thought, well, if Pookie doesn't score, then we won't win. So. You know, as long as as long as we give him the proper rest this summer, um, and we look after him, and and even this year, you know, to take them take, I think Daniel tried to obviously took him off early um, again for the end. Um, just try and look after Timo, and if the game's won, take him off. Or um, you know, now that it's good for uh, for Ida to um, to come on and score as well. Uh, mm. I think it was his first goal since September, um, so it, it was nice to to have him fit and firing because. You know, it'll be good for Pookie to have a rest every now and again and just to take the pressure off um, because we need him. Um, he's our main man. And uh, and yeah, we are we are seeing a living legend um, and he he will break the records. And if we can keep hold of him, I know he's 
I think he's is he 30, 31 now? Yeah. You know, he he will be a Norwich City great, that's for sure. Absolutely. And so let's just wrap the Wickham game there then, Connor, on that goal from Adam Eder, uh, who's had a weird old season, really, isn't he? You know, the injury while he was away with Ireland, the, the false positive coronavirus test. Then he actually got coronavirus in January. Um, he signed his new contract before Christmas and things like that, didn't he? But it, it was actually the red card in injury time against Wickham as well, wasn't it? Which kind of knocked him off course a little bit. But because before all that happened, he was progressing pretty nicely, wasn't he? So a real a real nice confidence boost for him at a, a good time. And I did want to say as well, actually, that Lucas Rupp came on alongside him, didn't he? And it was a lovely pass from Rupp, who had, of course, set up Ollie Skip's goal, the, the late goal at Birmingham midweek. Lovely pass from Rupp through to Eda, which won the corner from which they then scored. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's worth mentioning, Rupp, actually, before I go on to Eda, because what he's added in the last two games is some real energy when Norwich have needed it. And, and he's kind of just allowed... Because the way Norwich play, it does sap energy out of out of particularly midfield players, and you just need that option sometimes who can just progress a ball forward up the pitch and relieve pressure. And he, he did that um, so well at a time where Wickham were really beginning to put crosses in and put crosses under Tim Cruel and win set pieces, long throws as well. So it was beginning to get a little bit relentless, and then he comes on and and, and just drives them forward up the pitch, and he did that again, like you say, against Birmingham, which is um, which is good to see, and kind of looks like he's getting back to if not the level or the consistency, certainly some bursts of what we saw early on in the season, which was why he was so praised. Um, on to Adam Eder, who, yeah, I, th- I think it's it has been a difficult year. And, and some, someone at the club said, I think just before Christmas, that, that they felt he was on the cusp of really breaking through. And at the time, I was kind of sat there thinking, well, not really sure because at the start of the season was a bit disjointed. I didn't feel we really saw the best of him. But based on the last few cameos and obviously the goal yesterday, I think we're really beginning to see him step forward and emerge and and, and maybe become a, a sort of credible alternative for mm. Timu Puki because he does offer drive and, and physicality sometimes as well. And um, clearly the materials are there. It's just about sculpting them. And if he can continue with, with his with his level of performance that we've seen in, in the cameos, I mean, there was a stage early on in the season where he was sort of ahead of Jordan Hugel in Farkas. Yeah points where Norwich needed a, a change of attacking sort of emphasis and it would be Adam Eder that Daniel Farker turned to rather than Jordan Hugill and if he can get himself into that position again um, then that would be a really positive end to the season and, and and chipping in with goals here and there is is what Norwich City need from their strikers because uh, although we've just spoken in glowing terms about Timo Pukki you do need other players mm-hmm. to chip in with the goals just to relieve the pressure off him a little bit and that's how you keep him fresh I think and you know Sean touched upon that sort of barren spell in the Premier League was because no one else was really contributing with the goals and there was so much pressure pressure and so much spotlight on him so if you can share that load around and and score goals throughout your team as Norwich have done pretty well this year then um that bodes well for how successful you're going to be um but but for him he just needs a run now doesn't he you, you feel towards the end of the season where some really positive substitute appearances some goals like we saw uh like we saw yesterday um and, and that will really give him the boost I think going into into pre-season and next season to end what has been a pretty disjointed and, and difficult season for him and uh, at points as well well I think I've cracked Daniel Farker's master plan while you guys have been talking there because to go back on Sean's point about Pookie potentially not getting much rest in the summer because he's going to play for Finland and and things like that when I spoke to Tim Krull after the Rotherham game in, in one of his quotes he said you know we don't want to be going to Barnsley on the last day of the season and needing something because we know how uh, how difficult that could be but if you look at the run of fixtures that final five games is actually looking 
you certainly don't want to be worrying too much at that point. Bournemouth, Watford, Reading, Barnsley, all in the last five. But between, you know, we're now going to turn our attentions to this big game on Wednesday night, which I'm really looking forward to on Wednesday evening, 5.30 kickoff for some reason for Sky uh, against Brentford. But after that, it's teams who are all in mid-table or in the relegation battle. Luton, Sheffield Wednesday, Forest, Blackburn, Preston, Huddersfield, Derby, all in a row. Sure, they have got the chance. This is a ridiculous. We are. I am allowing myself to get carried away here. They have got the opportunity to get this done early because Connor made a good point a few weeks ago in the pod that really at the moment you'd probably rather be playing a mid-table team who don't have a lot to to fight for than a team who are deep in the relegation battle. And and they're the teams that they've mostly just got out of the way. Hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. You want to play. Um teams as 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 the famous saying goes that are on the beach you know you don't you, you want to play you want to play teams that haven't, haven't got anything to play for and and are just there just turning up um and if we can do it get it done early you know obviously Brentford massive game we'll get onto that um you know other than that as you just say they're all on they're all who we got we've got Sheffield Wednesday after that Nottingham Forest Blackburn you know they're they're all teams that we can beat and, and quite easily and if we can win the next after Brentford win the next three or four after that well, well, then it should be done and dusted, shouldn't it? So, or, mm. or pretty much there. So, you know, it will take a major, a major implosion to to mess it up from here. And if we can get it done early, then we can give people, uh, players like Adam Eder a chance and 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 give Puggy a rest. Like, if we, if we're promoted enough, I I don't really want to see Puggy playing. If I'm honest, <laughs> like, especially like give him a couple of games games rest. Um, yeah, too. You know, it it would it would do him the world of good, and not just Puggy. You know, uh, even players like Tim Kroll give. Give as many of them a rest as possible. If we can get it done early, it will make such a difference to us to have those players fit and fresh um, and give them a proper summer off. Um, and we have the we have the chance. We have we have the opportunity now. We have the games. If if we can get a draw against Brentford and win the next three or four games, we'll be in a in a fantastic position. Yeah, we've allowed ourselves to slip into a little bit of a Norwich City utopia there, haven't we? But um, <laughs> I guess there's going to be the ideal situation. But uh, <laughs> as we all know, it's never as easy as it sounds. Yeah, there will be a blip at some point, won't there? But just to finish with the Brentford game, I am looking forward to just in terms of a spectacle and in terms of entertainment, because it should be two good teams going at it, uh, playing attacking football. No one's going to be parking the bus. Although we know that both teams are pretty solid defensively mm. as well. Um, but it's a wonderful situation, isn't it, Connor, to go into this match against your main promotion, hopefully title rivals, seven points clear of them. Before you even think about being 10 points clear of Watford and 11 clear of Swansea, it almost feels like Norwich can go into this one without a great deal of pressure. Like If you think back to the Alex Neal era and that big Middlesbrough game at the end of the season, when, which Norwich needed to win to get have any chance of getting into automatics, and then they lost 1-0, didn't they? This game doesn't have anything like that sort of tension on for them, does it? No, it doesn't. I'm, I'm going to sound a bit like Jose Mourinho or insert off, uh, insert manager here when, you know, by, by saying the onus really is on Brentford to try and, to try and win the game, because if, if Norwich don't, does it, does it eat into the, the reserve of points they have? Yes. Does it really um, throw their position out the window? Not particularly. They'd still be four points clear and, and seven clear of third place. That's still a really healthy position to be in. So it, it is a it is a big game and all the context and first week second. Um, but I mean, if if, Nor- if Norwich do win it, um, they could, I mean, it, it would be pretty, it would take something pretty, um, pretty extraordinary to see them fall outside of the, the top two. Um, 
so so it is, it is a big game, but I, I would say the onus is going to be on Brentford to try and come to Carrowood and, uh, and win and get something. And uh, as we've seen, they've not lost a game there since October, is it? So that, that's it's going to be incredibly difficult, um, particularly given how defensively robust Norwich have been. And and as we've said, they're, they're really efficient. So they might not be their best and can still win 2-0. And, and that is kind of the danger. I think it's, it's pretty ominous for everyone else in the league at the moment. And um, what Brentford do have clearly is, is Ivan Tony arguably, whether you want to describe him as, as the best striker in the league. I don't think Daniel Farke would be too pleased um, saying that he's ahead of Pookie, but certainly in, in terms of goal scored, he's, he's been incredible for them. I think that they're probably, if you boil it down to pure attack-based teams, I think they're probably the best in the division. So it is going to be a, a stern test for Norwich's defence. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Dave. I think this is going to be a really intriguing, really exciting football match. But ultimately, Norwich are, are in such a healthy position that if they do lose it, then it, it it wouldn't be the end of the world. Even if, if if I think even if they got a draw, that's a pretty decent result considering their circumstances. It keeps kind of the status quo, so to speak, and and keeps them in in well in, in exactly the same position, providing um, the the other sides don't capitalise. So yeah, I mean it's 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 big in the grand scheme of things, but in terms of Norwich City, I think they're they're you'd rather be in their position than Brentford, who are going to have to come to to Carrow Road and, and and really chase a win. Yeah, I really like Tony because. Um, he's such an all-round player, isn't he? He's got the size, he's got the pace. He's also got, I think, nine assists. Um, so to add to his what, 25 goals, I think it is, isn't it? He, considering they got him for 5 million up front, rising to 10, and knowing Darren McAntony, the way he drives a hard bargain, probably a few add-ons in there as well. That's great, a great bit of business. And he looks like a player who's ready for the Premier League. So if Brentford somehow don't end up going up, then I, I, I'm sure he'll be at hot property in, in the summer. But um, uh, did you both see the goal that Janot scored for them at the weekend? The brilliant strike. It, that was some. That was an absolute rocket, wasn't it? But they, Sean, they've kept falling behind recently in games, and, and so they're showing a bit of character. But it's not that long ago that they had taken top spot off Norwich, and I think that just fired up the the, the squad, the Farkas squad, that little bit more. So, um, how 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 much are you looking forward to this game in terms of that you, you think Norwich are really going to be pumped for it? See, I, I I kind of think it might go the other way. I think it might be a cagey affair with both teams sort of waiting to suss each other out and seeing who's going to make the first move. Mm. Um, I, Norwich don't need to win it. This is the thing. Nor Norwich can take a draw and it'll be a great result. I'm, I'll be more than happy with a draw on, on Wednesday. Um, Brentford obviously will. They, they're going to respect Norwich. They're going to think, oh, you know, we don't want to concede the first goal. I think Norwich has, I think Pookie has scored the first goal in the last three or four games, hasn't he? So, you know, it's. I, th I, I do think... Brentford obviously need to come out and, and go for it, but I, I can see it being a bit cagey in the first half. And then, you know, as the game opens up, um, I think both both teams will give it a good go. Um, but it's, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because how do you play it? Do you, do Norwich just set up and play for the draw or will they, you know, go for it as as, as they have about every other game this season? So, I mean, I, if you if you ask me right now, I'd, I'd happily take a draw. Um but we'll, uh, you know, we'll we'll just have to see how Daniel sort of sets up, and I assume it'll be an unchanged team, um, and uh, and he, and he'll go for go for the win as as usual. But you know, if, if you offered it right now, I absolutely take a point. Yeah, as so often with big games, they do. You know, look at Chelsea, Man United on on Sunday. Oh, that was a affair, wasn't it? Oh, well, I only had it on in the car, but it didn't sound great. <laughs> but yeah, so often you are right that these big games, when there's a lot on it, can be that. But I'm just hoping that the fact that Norwich 
as I said a little earlier, don't have a load of pressure on them. Might mm. just mean that they're able to play with, with enough freedom to, to get ahead in this one. And then, of course, we know the, the way that they're playing. Because I can't see Norwich setting up to be defensive. I just don't think... No. I don't think that's Farper's way, really. Is it? It's about ha having the defensive steel behind the attacking um, ability, isn't it? But uh, great stuff, boys. Thank you very much for for joining me to to look back on that. Uh, you can also also hear the pod on Future Radio one hundred seven point eight FM. They normally put the show out ahead of uh, the the midweek game if there is one. Uh, but for now, thank you very much for listening. A little reminder as well: the official Norwich City sticker book is still very much available. I finished mine last week, which was a big moment in my lockdown life um so pleased to have that uh, done and dusted uh, pinkandshop.co.uk is the place to go if you haven't started yet or if you're still looking to uh, to complete your book but for now uh, thank you very much for listening look after yourself stay safe we'll have all the build up for you the pre-match press conference on tuesday and then of course we'll be with you at pinkand.com throughout the game on wednesday evening Okay, so I'm joined by our head of sport, Chris Lakey, now, who, of course, was covering the Canaries full time uh, during Glenn Roder's period in charge. Uh, the sad news this week that Glenn passed away at the age of 65. So just wanted to catch up with Chris a, a little bit on Glenn's time in charge, which, you know, was quite a, a tumultuous time, wasn't it, really, Chris? Yeah, uh, first off, condolences to his family. Uh, um, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was funny times because Glenn Roder arrived at Carroll Road as a big name um, built largely around what he'd done at West Ham and Newcastle and, and you know what I, I, I never thought the Newcastle thing ever left Glenn Roder um, you, you look at his backroom team there was Lee Clark Paul yeah. Stevenson Adam Sadler I think it was and even if you remember helping out he roll up every Thursday's car with his dogs John Curry a Geordie who used to be the rugby coach in North Walsham. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, he really did have this sort of, I hesitate to call it a Geordie Mafia, but that was, you know, everything was, was sort of Newcastle-centric with him uh, uh, when he first came. Um, he knew a lot, did Glenn Roder. He knew a mm. lot of people within the game. Uh, Arsene Wenger's name cropped up a lot because he, he worked with Arsene Wenger, I think, at Arsenal, helping out in between... Uh, uh, managerial jobs it wasn't until i just had a little look by the way that i realized that norwich's was his last managerial role yeah which seems remarkable really um yeah a little spell as a consult uh, uh, as stevenage? a consultant at stevenage didn't he and sheffield wednesday was involved as well yeah. wasn't he um i mean i remember him as a, a player he was a he was a magnificent footballer right. a proper way ahead of his time center half um um, yeah, came to Norwich. Uh, uh, <laughs> the overriding impression I have, apart from the sound bites, which we'll probably get into, are the players he signed. He signed an awful lot of loan players. Uh, uh, sometimes some were so many that they had to sit in the stands and watch the game. Um, but I've just written down a few of the names of the players he, he signed. And he bought he, he brought in some very good players. I mean, Ryan Bertrand. He brought him in and then brought him back again for his uh, the, the the when he started the following season after he joined to be the summer of 2008 wouldn't it chet evans who at the time was you know red hot martin taylor who was a center half from birmingham very good um kieran gibbs he, kieran gibbs john kennedy who oh, yeah. had it not been for awful injuries 
would have been such a good centre-half. Uh, but he had terrible bad luck with injuries. Um, signings included Dejan Stavanovic. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, he he would, uh, got sort of ruined by injury, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, he, he was the only person who put the fear of God into me when we talked. He was, he was a hard-looking man. Sammy Kling and David Bell. And, of course, Wes. Yeah. You know, I think the most outstanding thing there. But the... The, the the sort of, not trying to be the Newcastle analogy here, but the, the black and white of Glenn Roder's reign was that he brought in Wes, but the other hero, Darren Huckabee, was, I, I don't think you can say anything, but that he was poorly treated on his exit. You know, I, I was at Sheffield Wednesday when we all said goodbye to Dion when he retired. Mm. And poor old Hux was in no man's land. Didn't know what was happening. In the end, he was told to go. I don't think yeah. he was told he could go. He was told to go. And and that was the shame of it, that that, that his time at Norwich, you know, all managers get sacked because it doesn't always end in, in, in anything but tears. Um, the shame of it was his time at Norwich had that black and white, you know, the signing ways, but the, 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 the way that Darren Huckabee exited, which, you know, they're so highly held in high regard at Carrow by City fans. It, it just sort of exemplified him, really. Um, and the sound bites. I mean, we know he was, you know, when you listen to him, he was really interested. You could ask oh, yeah, him he was, any yeah. question. Yeah, he was. You could, you could ask him anything about football and he'd, he'd have a, a, an opinion. It was good as well. He'd take but, like a deep breath, wouldn't he, before he answered a question yeah. quite often? Because he, you know, he was a thoughtful, thoughtful chap. But, you know, sometimes at press conferences, for example, I felt he was happier talking about a general thing about football than he was about Norwich City. Mm. And and I still get in my mind that he... I, it wasn't a good fit. You know, yeah. I mean, Norwich City was on a downward spiral. And it was only, what, a year later that we, we saw the final result of it, really. Um, uh, it was on a downward spiral. And he wasn't the right fit. He was much more West Ham, Newcastle, big club. Than, than Norwich was at the time. Um, but, you know, to his response at an AGM, I, I felt a little bit sorry for him when he, he got slaughtered for this, I don't remember your tenure as England manager, but Glenn Roder would have been the sort who just stood there or sat there, and a fan in the audience, most of whom were anti-Glenn Roder, <laughs> was criticising his football knowledge. Yeah. You know, and and... He just didn't come out with the right answer. But I think a lot of us would have felt in the back of my mind that your mind, you'd have said the same thing. You know, who on earth are you to tell me? That was his thing. The, the Tweedledee and Tweedledum with Chris Martin and Michael Spillane was, you know, a little bit reckless. <laughs> he probably <laughs> had a point. I don't know. Um, I think overall, it, it's just part of the rich history of any football club, isn't it? Overall, I found it as interesting a managerial period as many. Uh, I um, I had uh, a back and forth with a former colleague of ours uh, last night about, you know, how would you compare it with other managers? And I said, well, he took over from Peter Grant. And that's probably, no disrespect to Peter Grant, but the, the actual era was one of the greyest era, eras, uh, managerial eras for some time. But Glenn Rhodes wasn't. You know, it was, yeah. it was interesting. <laughs> Yeah, because it was eventful. always something to talk about. It was eventful, yeah. It's always Absolutely. something to talk about. I mean, it ended poorly. I remember they lost to Charlton in the Cup, didn't they? And mm. Charlton were darned awful at the time, and, and Norwich got beaten by them. They'd, they were just above the relegation zone, I think. 
um, and poor, very poor. But, you know, I think that, that, that he couldn't instill what Paul Lambert eventually did, that wanting to play for Norwich. He couldn't do that, I don't think. Probably just because I don't think he was he bought into it in the same way that other managers had. And, and the fact that, you know, a little while later you had Brian Gunn in charge, it was your chalk and cheese. But interesting mm. period. It was. I mean, we all know it didn't end well, as as, as you say, as often happens with all managers. You know, Nigel yeah, Williams, yeah. of course, had a great time at Norwich, yeah. but it ended badly, didn't it? Yeah. Um, but thankfully, I, you know, social media can be a horrible time. But I, I haven't really seen any Norwich fans uh, be bitter or say anything nasty in response to the to the sad news which broke on Sunday. But you know, passing away at sixty five, he obviously had his health challenges with them yeah. um, when he was at West Ham with with a brain tumor as well, didn't he? And yeah. it's 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 just sad news. So I, I'm pleased to see yeah. that people have, ch- have sort of focused on the the positive notes, like Absolutely. And I think it's worth pointing out that when he when he arrived. Um, they were four points adrift at the bottom of the table, weren't they? And yeah, yeah. They, they did go on a, you know, they came from 2-0 down to draw 2-2 with Ipswich in his first game. First game, um, They had a 13-game unbeaten run. And, you know, the first season, he did do the job that he was brought in to do before things went wrong. The other thing it makes me wonder, I don't know how much money he was given to spend uh, on on permanent transfers. But, you know, he's come from big clubs with a bit of money. I suspect he didn't have that much money to spend. I, I, mm. I mean, I think Sibierski cost him an awful lot, or cost Norwich City an awful lot. But I, I don't know if if he ever felt um, sort of held back, but because he didn't have a decent transfer budget, um, had he been able to sign better quality players, I think he was that sort of manager. You know, yeah. somebody who wanted to. His levels were higher, and I know that sounds a bit contrary, given that what happened to the club and relegation that, but. He was probably a little bit better than they expected, I think, but more ambitious. And, you know, we could never match the two together. Rhoda and Norwich could never actually be compatible, I don't think. Very, very sad. And your point about Norwich fans is good. I think it's typical Norwich fans. Um, very respectful in the most part, 99.9%. Um, very respectful, um, as you'd expect, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, as is, as always, sad to see somebody who did, you know, he was in charge of Norwich for sixty-five games. They won twenty and drew fifteen of those, so he was in charge of the club for the best part of eighteen months. So it deserves to be uh, to be marked properly, and it's good to see that people are being respectful. Uh, Absolutely, thank you very much for joining me, Chris. Anytime. Um, I, I hope for, for for the listeners that that was a, a worthwhile little reflection on on some very sad news which broke at the weekend. who's back welcome to the new normal i am your host richard porritt and each week i'll be joined by cash boyle back again the gang is back tell your friends and matt withers greetings i'm not gonna sing thank goodness each friday the former new european podcast gang will be bringing you the week's news politics gags gaffes and guests we will be here to hold your hand as the nation steps out of the covid darkness rubs its eyes, blinks, and takes those first tentative steps towards the new normal. Cash, are you excited? I am absolutely giddy with excitement. I don't think I've ever missed two people more in my life. (laughs) Matt, what should the listener do right now? You should head to wherever you get your podcasts, be that Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, 
subscribe to the new normal and we will pop into your podcatcher of choice first thing next Friday morning. Okay, tune in for the podcast premiere next Friday, the 5th of March. It is good to be back.